This is episode 227 of the Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts podcast. This episode is titled Raising the Roof with the Wild Honey Foundation. Welcome to Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts, the show about stuff we like. I'm your host, Jennifer Crittenden, and sometimes I'm lucky enough to be joined by my co-host, Bill Aho, who has an ear for good music and an eye for the extraordinary. Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts is brought to you by Discreet Guide, a training company for improving your speaking and writing skills. We hope you enjoy the show. I'm so pleased to welcome two new guests to the show today. I've got David Jenkins with us, along with Paul Rock, and they are associated with the Wild Honey Foundation, and I think I'll let them explain who they are and what they do. So uh, take it away, Paul and David. My name is David Jenkins, and I've been partners with Paul Rock and our other associates, Andrew Sandoval and Michael Ackerman, for going on about 30 years doing musical events for various charitable organizations, and then primarily in the last decade, supporting uh, autism charity, initially Autism Think Tank, uh, which is now turned into the Autism Healthcare Collaborative. And uh, that's been our primary focus uh, since we uh, re-upped to active service in uh, 2013. So coming up on our uh, 2.0 second decade. (laughs) Paul, you want to tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, my name is Paul Rock, and I originally met David and Andrew and all the other Wild Honey people, most of the while, through my... uh, Tenure at Aaron's Records in Hollywood. Ah. And I worked there for from uh, 1986 to the year 2000. Through that, we uh, that's how we launched uh, Wild Honey, was uh, meeting through that and finding shared uh, musical interests, primarily Brian Wilson at, at the beginning. And that's how we got started. And that's where Wild Honey comes from. Just all of us are big music nuts, and, and it was uh, fate. We didn't really plan it. Let's put it that way. It was very, very spontaneous in the way it, it happened. We didn't set out to do any of this. So we all had the shared interests, and I think that's where it all comes from. The very first show we did was the uh, spontaneous Brian Wilson event in my house in uh, 1993. That's where what we named it Wild Honey at that point, because that's uh, what my one of my favorite Beach Boy records, and that's where that came from. Okay. So basically, we had a bunch of Brian Wilson uh, nerds show up at my house, and we probably had about a, a hundred people. Oh wow! So it was pretty successful, and we had a PA and, <laughs> and a full set of gear, like a, you know, bands with drum kits and guitar amps and everything, everything. in the living room of this house in uh, yeah Hancock Park. Thankfully, Paul's two uh, housemates were both musically. Yeah, uh, active as well. And uh, it faced a very crowded street for traffic. So right. we didn't get a lot of blowback yeah. from the neighbors. None. <laughs> In fact, I don't think anybody knew we did it. And we had, uh, it was on, uh, I lived on Olympic Boulevard near Highland. And that was where we started. The, it was a crazy night and uh, really successful. And, and we decided that, well, maybe we should do more. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up taking it to the Morgan Wixon Theater. Ah, okay. in Santa Monica, 200 seats. And we did a birds event six months later in the summer of uh, 94, um, which wasn't the most wildly successful show we've ever done, but it was uh, fun. And we we ended up having uh, Vicki Peterson and uh, Peter Case. And hmm. so that was kind of got us off to a good start. But it was, well, I think we filled maybe half the seats at, at the Morgan Wixon. But then we decided, well, we're going to do another Brian Wilson event in November, which we did at the same place. And by some miraculous confluence of events, we ended up with Brian Wilson uh, performing, thanks to uh, his friend David Leaf and Andy Paley. They brought him down. Oh. And he performed uh, five songs. Alex Chilton, a big star, was also present. And Victoria Williams. Victoria Williams. And uh, we were fortunate in that two things kind of transpired that we could not have planned for. Again, a lot of happy accidents in our history. One was that this was the first time that Brian actually performed yes. live 
on a, as a solo artist, excepting like doing a promo thing on a TV show or right. a video, but actually in a band. playing and singing with a band in front of people under his own name. But also our friends, Wonderments, who were a local band that were quite steeped in Brian's music and were Beach Boys historians, they performed a mini set of material, including some pieces from the uh, Smile period. Right. Uh-huh. Brian was backstage, heard these guys playing the music, and that was the first time he right. encountered them. Oh, uh, yeah. Through the association of that, plus David Leaf being a go between at a few other events. Eventually, three or four years later, those guys became the core of Brian's new touring band. Right. Oh, wow. They still are, yeah. they still are to this still day. Today, yeah. Oh, wow. And yeah. they've always been appreciative of that, you know, connection. Again, it was just, it happened to, you know, it was the thing that worked out. Right. And Brian was probably a little overwhelmed that night with so many people playing this music. I mean, there was one hilarious moment where our friends had a band called the seven deadly five and they were playing an unreleased uh, beach boys track called my solution. And Brian was said to exclaim, why are they playing this? (laughs) (laughs) Uh How did they, yeah. How did they know about this? Probably more like, how does anybody even know what this is? Because I don't think we ever put it out, but there was also some great moments captured somewhere on video of, Brian and Alex Chilton interacting and they had not right. seen each other since the sixties. Wow. There's a whole connection with yeah. Alex being a young guy in the beach boys world and touring with them. And their interaction was really priceless because it just, as a friend of ours, you know, uh, Peter Jesperson who had managed the replacements, he said, me watching Alex looking at Brian Wilson is just like me watching Paul Westerberg looking at Alex. Just remember that we're all fans of somebody else. Ah. Maybe that's the biggest takeaway from our entire history. Everything we've done is really an outgrowth of our music fandom or friendship that we have tried to share what we love and illuminate the things that we care about to people. Sometimes we've made new fans in the process of music that they might have been like, oh, you know, I, I knew that was supposed to be cool, but I never checked it out. Or once I saw this music presented or heard it you know full force they look at it in a different way and you know it's not just fans i mean artists and other musicians and singers have had that same experience where they've gotten turned on to a deeper aspect of something because they get that involved with it yeah well we go all in so there's there's no when we do a do a show we have six weeks of rehearsal wow and every every note is is gone over oh wow Uh, and so we try to recreate the record without being as a, like a, a stale recreation. We use it as a blueprint. As a blueprint. So, you know, we come at it like more, more recently in this last decade, especially since we've yeah. had a core house band of musicians led by our friend Rob Laufer and also including too, too many people to mention. But there's a core group of people, right. some of whom go back to the early 90s yeah. with us. They're all coming from the same place, too, which is that we all know the recorded versions or live versions of this music. So we start with that as the blueprint and try and get all the colors and all the details. Right. And then really what it comes down to is the different singers that come in mm. to you know, perform the songs. We can bend things to their needs. I mean, sometimes right. we've shifted arrangements or even keys when we've had to, but we really try and go off the originals because that's where everyone's coming from. More recently, when we've done both uh, Buffalo Springfield event, we were able to give uh, Richie Fure, who's one of the original Springfield members, he kind of was able to perform some of his music in a way that he really had not been able to because he had the full right he had a string section he had horns and, and we did that two years ago at our you know most recent event which was the love and spoonful salute which uh-huh. again did not intend to basically engineer a reunion of john sebastian joe butler and steve boone but that's what we did and they were willing to accept that we were coming at it from a place different than either of those guys have been doing john has a one-man show that tells stories and plays songs and it's a very specific thing. And Joe and Steve have had a show for decades where they do the spoonful with other musicians, also in a different way. But all of them were willing to let us take them back to, we're going to go back to your guys' records as the blueprint. Right. And okay. they really enjoyed it. Sure. Let, let them hear something live that they never could have imagined because you know, yeah. it would be that crazy to have strings yeah. and horns and four guitar players. Yeah, and we've also done a lot of live versions of songs that have never been played live. Right particularly mm-hmm. by the original people. I mean, we did, well, of course, with The Spoonful, we did a lot of songs they never played live because we did 40 songs and 
They, their concerts, That's a lot. Wow. Their concerts were probably 45 minutes to an hour, maybe. Yeah. But mm. but then, but we've also done Beatles things where obviously the Beatles never played the White Album live. So yeah, we're doing records that people don't really know live. And in fact, even though people have had many opportunities over the years to see Paul McCartney and Ringo, who, you know, tour pretty regularly, we were doing material that those guys have never played live. And mm -hmm. Revolution number nine. Yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> that, was, that was a multimedia presentation we did with our friend Jim Mills. And yeah. uh, it was like the ultimate challenge of how do you recreate this piece of experimental music composition and editing? And Jim had a plan, something he'd actually <laughs> yeah. been working on for years. Yeah. Because it was an obsession of his that he wanted to find a way to recreate yeah, we just that thing. Him. So we told him, yeah. <laughs> we, it, it came to the, came to what are we going to do with this? And our friend Darian Sahanaja said, Jim Mills is the man. And yeah. he was right. We and just so, let him go. Yeah, he put together this whole thing. I and mean, that's an amazing. With Darian. Yeah, with Darian and um, also with our friend Julia Ewan, who coordinated visuals. And so we made a presentation of this almost 10 minute thing no, 18 minutes oh my gosh <laughs> well, was, can so, you yeah. imagine yeah. wow it was actually one of the highlights of anything we've ever done because it's the last thing anybody would yeah. have expected i mean people who were part of the cast yeah. actually came out from the wings right and went out to the house and were sitting watching it happen because they wanted to see oh. Yeah, well, the, I think the why it went longer is because we brought out the big ball. All right, and that took time. We had a, <laughs> like sort of like those things from the prisoner. TV. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it was. I, I there's a video of it. And you can see it, but I mean, it's yeah. like we we're sort of we were going for something that was not just we got to plug in a guitar and get tuned up. It's like right. we we're on a whole other level. But yeah. like Paul said, you know, it's like when you're a person in your bedroom, in your house, wherever you're listening to music, and you're lost in that world you often wonder, God, this is incredible. Like nobody could ever do this or how would you ever pull this off? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're crazy enough to go. Yeah. We're going to try, you know, <laughs> and, and just having a technicolor version of the record is live done live is an amazing thing. It's, it's better than listening to the record, although <laughs> it's the same thing in some ways. But when you hear it live, it's it's a, it's it's real and an experience, and I think that's why people come back for every show. Yeah, we've definitely we've firmly established a core audience. There's at least <laughs> 800 people now who buy their tickets within three weeks of me putting them on sale. Wow, right. You know what what I'm thinking of during this, which which I think is so cool, especially in the time you know post COVID, is the idea of a show. Right. It's and and you used the word too that was crossing my mind was experience. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's something, you know, as technology has gotten better and better, and you can listen to records everywhere and you know, all kinds of different records. And you know, you can consume music in a lot of ways, but you can't take away an yeah. experience or a show. For us, it's it's every year it's it's sort of a um, old home week for all the artists because a lot of people come back year after year but they don't see each other probably all year or maybe mm -hmm. once or twice at most so we get together and we and we have not just the show but we have this dress rehearsal that goes on for two days and where all the singers come and they watch each other and clap for each other and eat and drink and it's a whole yeah. uh, it's become situation. quite a thing yeah I mean yeah. The, Paul was talking about the rehearsal process. There is a long preliminary yeah. process of mm -hmm. the core musicians getting together, kind of dissecting stuff and sort of, you know, making those arrangements and getting like sort of building the you know the core of it. And then as, you know, so people will stand in and sing for, you know, for, for people who aren't there. Right. And then when we get into the, as Paul was saying, the dress rehearsal process really is like the first time that everybody can see what's been built and also they get to be a part of it. And we've also had some mm -hmm. great, our friend Rob Bonfilio played guitar on the uh, Beach Boys event that we did in 2016. And Rob is married to Carney Wilson, who's one of Brian's daughters. And so Carney came to watch Rob rehearse, but right. was not initially available or able to participate in the show. And after the second rehearsal, she said, you know, when you guys are doing Friends, I hear this harmony and it's like, oh. okay. And she yeah. said, do you think I go, <laughs> I think she needed to feel she needed to see what was going on. Not right. just, oh, my husband's involved in something. And right. I know that these, some of these guys play with my dad, but what is it exactly? Sure. But once she saw right. what was happening and heard it, she immediately said, 
I got to be in on this because I get it now. I mean, she, she Mm kind of needed to, the proof was in the pudding. She needed to feel comfortable once she did. It was like, now she's been back and played several times with Rob on the shows, but it's part of, it's part of how we bring people in, but also musicians and performers, you know, they tend to want to be around each other and they want to see what's happening. The hang factor, you know, of course, well, people come both nights and even though they're only singing one night, they'll come come both nights to hang out and and watch and and support everybody else. And last time we took to another level for the Love and Spoonful show as we, we got the theater for the whole week. And so we, did rehearsals and then we did the dressers instead of at a, at a we're on, studio. We're on the same stage. We're on right. the same stage and everybody got to, to get a feel for what the show was going to be like as well. Yeah. And to be extra comfortable because they didn't have to adapt to moving from one space to another. It was like, right. we're going to be here for a few days in a row. We can really make everything work and yeah. it, it worked out great. So that's what we yeah. hope to be able to do. And the spoonful, you know, they hadn't done this thing for you know over 50 years in front of a real audience and so amazing uh, so i mean that theater, get, comfor- get comfortable was a big they didn't have to plus. have an extra jump going from the rehearsal studio to the theater which often causes trouble with uh sound issues and stuff that we yep. just created this sound thing the day of the show if we if we don't rehearse there right and at the spoonful show we had like five days to dial it in and, mm-hmm. and the show itself was uh much smoother we, we we didn't have any sound issues and it was our best show the point you brought up before about the people it you know especially in those last couple of years of a lot of events not happening yeah. including ours yep people have certainly missed it and we know that oh, yeah we are we too are looking forward to being able to get back to what we had been doing right. even if we may have to modify it slightly or allow for certain yeah. realities of you know what we're all dealing with but there's i think but there's the good news yeah we have the uh, we have the big star right. ensemble performing november 5th we've been asked to help our friends jody stevens and his crew restage a show that we had done with them uh, once in 2014 oh. um, at the wilshire email yeah. which was primarily focused on the big star third record but we featured, did the first entire and we did a bunch of the other material then too and then they restaged it a couple years later at the Alex to be filmed and recorded properly for a release, which is a commercially available Blu-ray and DVD. And then this year being the 50th anniversary of their right. first record, Jody wanted to celebrate it and contacted us and said, would you guys help us stage it? So the nice thing is we know what we're getting into mm-hmm. because we've worked with them before. Yeah. <laughs> for us also, we're going to be able to put on something far enough away at the end of the year that heaven forbid, if something has to be altered or changed, we've got time, but also... Yeah. We can get back into doing an event, right. sort of make a celebration for people musically. And then at that by that point, we'll also be able to have an idea if we can go forward and do right. something from the ground up in the spring, which, you know, all things going forward, it looks like it'll be possible. Maybe. The nice thing is, is that we'll be able to get some of our crew back together, a couple of the guest musicians, but mostly helping our friends stage something that they've already you know right and it's a tight knit crew so covid more covid friendly yeah we're not bringing in we're not bringing in tons of strangers tons of strangers we only have <laughs> and they, all these people know each other and they're all have worked together for a long time so it's a um, good way back i to, think it's a good way back for us and and the other thing too i think that you know people are discovering is that being flexible about the plans you're making and also being willing to adapt to certain things as everyone has had to learn yeah. on a variety of levels. It's just the way forward until we get to a point where things are even more manageable and it's less present right now. Everybody is still in this middle yeah. phase of where their comfort level is, or as our friend Jordan Summers says, everybody COVIDs differently. Yeah, yeah that's true. a nice way of putting it. Uh, yeah, that's true <laughs> to COVID scary. <laughs> know people that have been locked up for two years and we also know people that have gone back out and have started traveling and touring yeah. and playing music mm-hmm. and somewhere in between you know there are a lot of people just kind of figuring out what works for them but we've been kind of in between we've we had a couple of backyard shows canceled because they, they also they coincided with with spikes mm-hmm. big spikes and we're like well, well, for one, we just canceled all the, actually both of them, we did webcasts instead. So we were able to pivot and turn them into, you know, Paul has retrofitted his garage into a little performance space that can be captured both on video and audio and live stream. Yeah. And we've been learning about that and getting yeah. some information yeah. as that's been going along. But the nice thing is, is that in the cases of the things that we had set up 
to be in Paul's backyard, the artists were fine with, well, let's, we're here, let's just do it this way. Right. So we can get something going. Yeah. And we also created a system where we can have our uh, control room where we are right now and link it out to the backyard stage. Eventually we can kind of merge the two worlds and do a small controlled event outside and capture it for people that maybe can't make it. And also because the reality is even when things were normal before people you could only get so many people in chairs in the backyard and also i think a lot of people want to they hear about it and they know about it from their musicians and stuff and they may be in europe or they may be in australia or something and some people just go there's no way i can ever make that and they're gonna they're gonna reform and do this a few songs i want to see that yeah yeah. no we've been very fortunate to have the word of what we do spread over the years and people know about this thing and i mean that's obviously sometimes people's plans line up and they can travel to Los Angeles and see one of our events. But we have some people that have told us, it's like, oh, I've been watching you guys for years. Like, I know all about what you Mm -hmm. do, and I've watched the stuff online. And they're people that have never had the opportunity to come out to LA necessarily, but they've been able to follow it because of all the advances in technology, which is great because the bigger picture for us about all this stuff is that we do have this large community of like-minded people that want to preserve and share the music they love. They want to do a good turn for a worthy organization which the you know certainly has been the case with everything we've been involved with but especially close to um to our hearts uh is the autism all that centers around my son jacob who's the uh autism uh poster boy for us he's uh 18 now he's nonverbal. he's discovered that he can type with one finger he can communicate for the first time completely and a lot of that has come through medical advice that we got that allowed him to experience less pain Anyway, he's uh, he's informed us, and we've be- with Rob Lawford. He's collaborating on his first symphony. Oh wow! <laughs> wow, that's a big <laughs> that's a huge step forward. <laughs> Seventy to ninety minute symphony. He, tell- he tells Rob exactly what instruments and how long and and what mood and and everything, and then Rob turns it into melodies, and they have so far forty five minutes of music on MIDI and we're getting it scored and it's going to be performed by an orchestra by the end of the year. Oh my goodness. That's That's huge. That's our next wild honey, different event that's going to happen. We haven't figured out where it's going to be yet, but it might be at the Alex theater because we're pitching it to the LA chamber orchestra Uh who do stuff all over town. They do it in different places. They do stuff at the Alex. They do stuff at at, uh, UCLA. Uh, Royce Hall and they do mm-hmm. different places so um and we're pitching it to them as as being one of their events um we'll see if that happens but if it doesn't we'll create our own orchestra and and perform it so Rob has been working diligently for six months on the symphony it's quite amazing I like to refer to as Frank Zappa symphonic meets uh, Gershwin oh okay oh that <laughs> sounds very interesting I, I think that'll help sell it <laughs> So are all of your events marketed under the Wild Honey Foundation kind of label? Is that? Yeah. Okay. So if people want to follow you, they should look for Wild Honey Foundation. Okay, good. Yeah. You can find all the shows on YouTube. Okay. All the shows, but a lot of the recent, all the recent ones. And then are each of those events designated as a fundraising event for various causes, one of which is the autism? All the big events up until the Love and Spoonful show and, and beyond were for the autism think tank slash autism healthcare collaborative, they call themselves now. And, but we also did one for a children's music fund, which we co-did with the autism think tank. And there they did music therapy. That was their thing. Everything else has been for that. And also what we've also expanded beyond that in in the COVID time, in that we saw that our family was hurting financially and otherwise the people who have been volunteering for us for years and years and doing all this work. So I've been doing online fundraisers for a fund to help people in our family. Mm-hmm. So we've raised over seventy thousand dollars. Oh my to help gosh! People. Wow! So what it's been able to do is help people Keep with going. rent, with food, with mm-hmm. basic expenses yeah. when there's gaps, when they haven't been able to get. You know, obviously a lot of the people involved in our world were all kind of thrown out of work, and also not everybody was as able to get. Even though there was certainly government assistance offered, and a lot of people have gotten help from it, myself included. There were gaps or wait times. It's like, hey. Right. I'm going to get a check, but it's going to be in 30 to 60 days. Right. And 
this has to get paid now. Well, the nice thing is that we've been able to do good turns for some of our community to be sure, and they've appreciated it. But it's also part of having this long running story where, like as Paul said, you know, literally the outgrowth of myself and Andrew and Michael and him all becoming friends through hanging out record stores and concerts and knowing each other, we've been able to turn this, hey, let's put on a show thing into something that none of us really could have imagined in terms yep. of where it's gone. But also that it's been able to provide, I just did some work on a memorial service for our late friend, Keith Allison, who was part of Paul Revere and the Raiders and Keith's son and I grew up together oh. and his Keith's family put together uh, an event at the uh, El Rey Theater, a private event to memorialize him with a band. Uh, a couple of the musicians were people that have worked on our shows, but the infrastructure in terms of the sound guy, stage manager, all those sort of production part of it. We're all people that have worked regularly on our shows. Most, most of them knew Keith. All of them you know, donated their services because they knew that Ryland and I, because I was asking, oh, and Keith. needed their help. And you know, Keith had performed multiple times yeah. at our shows. Keith was very good friends with Ringo. Each of Keith's performances would be filmed by a friend of his who they would get together and show it to Ringo. So Ringo knew about what was going on. Mm-hmm. Not that we could ever get to the next level of, would you come down and do something? But... I can tell people for sure that he's definitely seen some wild honey shows on the comfort of his big screen on his couch at home. But my point is, is that, you know, that community, even in the face of a tragedy or, of you know, not a happy occasion. I mean, certainly you want to memorialize somebody attributed, but everybody just pulled together and said, hey, man, what do you need? It's like, I'll be there and I'll help you do it. And we've been fortunate to make a lot of good friendships along the way that people will just come come on board. Because they see what we're doing and they want to be a part of it. When John Wicks of the Records was struggling with cancer, he passed away three years after, the, the I think, in 2018. But in 2015, he was on his deathbed and they were saying, oh, he's only got a couple months to live. And so we were going to we did a show for him mm-hmm. from the time that, that we said we were going to do the show to the time we did it in the fall. It, he made this like amazing. like He rallied. Played an hour. Wow. Played. <laughs> oh, yeah. He had, a, he had a great kind of was know, burst of energy and was able to both enjoy his own right. celebration or memorial. I mean, yeah, right. get your own exactly. you know, memorial. And he had all his, all his friends were there, you know, Al Stewart and, and the Peter Bangles, Asher, Peter the Bangles, Asher. Yeah, all, all the people that knew him and were friends with him. And the great thing was, is that, you know, it's an old joke, but it's like, you know, when you have an event as a send off for somebody, it's like you wish that they could have been there. Yeah, and we've all been Absolutely. there. We've exactly. Been to events where, like, man, I wish, yeah, fill in the blank was able to be here because they would have loved. This well, John party. was such a tough guy that he was just like, you know, he was determined. You're not going to do this without me. Right. <laughs> it's a real celebration of life, yeah, exactly. right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I should say prior to that, sort of the end of what I call the end of Wild Honey 1.0. Oh, yes, we did a great our, our late friend Greg Dwinell, who had a local uh, record label called Egbert and put out records by bands we had known, like the yeah. um, Baby Lemonade, Christian Hoffman, Jigsaw Scene, um, our friend Andrew Sandoval's first recording was released through Greg's label. Greg had a terminal cancer diagnosis and uh, asked us simply... I want you to do an evening of my favorite Elvis Costello songs sung by my favorite singers. And Greg kind of chose the songs and chose most right. of the artists. Right. We were able to get most of the people that he wanted, including Amy Mann, Michael Penn, John Bryan. Greg was very tight with yeah. the local uh, Largo uh, community here in right. LA. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We were able to put that together. And coincidentally, that show kind of coincided. Paul had recently met the woman he's now married to and they were, you know, to, they, they were Lisa's all, pregnant with Jacob. They, 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 they were they're pregnant. I had met the woman I'm now married to. Our lives were all kind of shifting a little bit. So yeah, we ended up kind of taking an active break for that period after doing that event for Greg, which yeah. he got to witness. He was at his own yeah, party. Yeah, yeah. He got to see it. We, we took a break. And then in 2009, when Paul had moved into his current house and discovered he had this huge backyard space, uh, we were able to put on an event for our friends, Peter Holzapple and Chris Stamey. Yep. That kind of ignited the, hey, it'd be fun to try and do some stuff again. But it wasn't really until Paul's son, Jacob, had this you know, a daily ritual, I think, of listening to, asking his dad to put on Rubber Soul and uh, Sgt. Pepper were the two Beatles records Jake really responded to. Oh. As Paul kept playing them yeah. again, he was like, 
you know, Jake's really into this. It's like, oh yeah, and we maybe needed, we could maybe it, we could do something. Well, yeah, yeah, and and also we had this. We we, we our neurologist told us about the autism think tank, but she was because she was the neurologist on the autism think tank. She's an amazing neurologist, this woman Margaret Bowman. And she's based out of Boston. She told us that she wanted to hook us up with this really good gastro doctor, which is a really big thing in autism. People don't really realize that autism is a, is a, a physical thing more than even a mental thing. And so basically, they have an impossible time digesting their food. And it's really complicated because it's a combination of reflux and constipation, which are kind of the yin and yang of digestion. And when you have both, finding a solution is almost very difficult. Margaret Bowman said, you've got to get this great, great uh, gastro doctor in Boston, and he's on the think tank. And we said, but we need $3,000 to be on the think tank. At that time, it was different than it is now. So we decided, well, we'll put on a show. Uh-huh. So we did the Beatles show. Uh-huh. And we raised money for scholarships for four kids. And it sold out so quickly that we, we did it in a smaller, like 400 seat place. And it sold out really quickly. And we realized, well, we can do more and we can do it bigger. And, and that's where it went from there. That's how we got back into it was that we had this need and, and we realized that we had this, this gift that we could we could give, you know, that we can that we could do these shows. People would show up and we can raise money. But we also raised so much awareness. Yeah. Because there's so many people that now know. Well, and J- people follow Jacob online because, because his trajectory has been amazing. It's gone from basically uh, being treated like an idiot and, and hurting himself constantly to now he's you know operating on a, a college level that no one knew until he could type. Yeah. But now he can type. He can communicate and tell people, oh, I- I'm this, I'm that, I'm this. And he started writing poetry, music reviews, all this stuff. And then he dropped the bomb on us about the symphony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, while yeah, right. Watch this space. And then it gets even crazier because Rob's like working really hard on, on the symphony. And Jacob's like, okay, I'm on symphony four. I'm on- <laughs> you, better, <laughs> you better catch up. <laughs> One of the other things in a related path to Jacob, we were introduced eight years ago. Our friend Susan Cowsell introduced us to a young man named Nick Guzman. And Nick and his family have become a big part of our community. And Mm -hmm. Nick is autistic with a different level of ability. Very high functioning. Very high functioning. And he sings and writes songs and plays guitar and multiple instruments. And he's very much become a part of what we do. And one of the nice things in the last couple of years is not only have people gotten to see Nick as a performer, but he's taken a bigger role. He, you know, he and his mom will come to the rehearsals. He'll stand in and sing. Yeah. You know, he'll learn all the songs or he knows them already for whatever we're doing. So he's sort of as a stand-in singer. But mm-hmm. the nice thing is, is that, you know, we've seen the ability to be able to have somebody like Nick participate in something that is ultimately for the benefit of people who can't participate right. like he does. But he's also done other autism benefits and he's worked with Stephen Stills Foundation that have done an annual show, The Light of the Blues thing. But the nice thing is that we've seen that by giving people an opportunity to participate in something, you really see the benefits. And just like Paul has found this breakthrough with his son that he's now able to communicate in a way they couldn't have imagined before, you know, Nick has a whole range of friendships and you know the whole community right. that are all very familiar with him and have helped him do you know music that wouldn't have existed, you know, had he not been introduced to us by Susan. And they just met because he was a fan of her family's band and went to, you know, to a show right. and then found himself, ta- you know, the family introduced themselves. And next thing you know, she's like, you got to meet these friends of mine. You know, there are a lot of good turns in our history. You know, I just wanted to circle back to something that, you know, Paul and I had mentioned about um, the Wonderments getting, you know, the kind of connection with uh, Brian Wilson. That's also where we did a Kinks event through a friend of ours who knew Dave Davies, who lived in L.A. at the time. We put together a band to back him up. And a few years later, some of those guys, including myself, ended up being the core of Dave's band for a couple of years. Again, inadvertently, no master plan, just the way it worked out. And we've seen other groups and other relationships form at these shows over the years, because when you put people together that are coming from a similar place, they're going to find each other backstage going, oh, hey, man, you're into that record, or you know my friend from that band, and it's been the the community around this has really been the you know the through line to the whole thing. I mean, one of one of the through lines has obviously been 
the friendship that we have in starting this thing and that we've all been through a lot of life upheavals. I mean, everything from all the usual birth, school, work, death, you know, it's like marriages, divorces, everybody's been through that stuff. But there's a commonality in that we've always been able to support each other. You know, when we come together for this thing, like Paul said, it's like some people don't get to see each other that often. We have a great yeah. friend named Christine Collister, who's a singer who actually lives literally. Oh my gosh. I'm a huge fan of hers. Well, Christine, (laughs) Andrew and I had met Christine many years ago when she and her former partner, Clive were signed Uh to Rhino in the U S they were signed by our late friend, Gary Stewart. And so we would go to their gigs, you know, when they come to the States and tour and play in the caves or wherever. And so we'd met and had a couple of nice chats with them. And then years later, I saw Christine was online on Facebook and I wrote a note to her and said, like, I don't know if you remember me, but, you know, blah, blah. And then she wrote me back and goes like, yes, I do. And we were, we're in Los Angeles right now. So I got together and met up with her for the first time in ages and then casually mentioned to her that, you know, um, so we're doing this thing and she was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And then she showed up to the first thing we did back, which yeah. she happened to be in LA because she was coming through town then. And she sang, she's leaving home at this uh, Beatles thing that we did, knocked everybody out because only oh, a few yeah. people knew who she was. She's so underappreciated. I just think she's amazing. That voice. Now, if you're a singer that can reduce a singer like Susan Cowsill to tears, Susan was like, oh. My God, who is? And so the nice thing is, is that Christine, for a couple of years, her and her husband's sort of world tour of visiting friends and family just happened to always coincide with being in LA in the springtime. And then she ended up doing a gig in Paul's backyard. We yep. did another couple of shows. She and Rob Laufer collaborated on some material. I got to play with her. So just again, one of the interesting things is that the way you can bring people together, I mean, for all the evils that people talk about with social media and the world being wired together, which is another conversation, but the most mundane thing of, I don't know if you remember me, but we had a nice conversation, turns into going to lunch into, oh, I'll come along and sing at your thing. I mean, she also, I invited her to come and sing on some recordings I was making. And it's like, all this stuff has just transpired because you know, those connections get reamplified when people get a chance to renew some old friendships and also make a ton of new ones that, you know, that weren't possible before. And now, like Paul was saying, you know, we've got this sort of summer camp thing where when we get the group back together, there's a, especially now after the last couple of years, yeah. there's a lot of people who have stayed in touch, you know, electronically or passing in the night or like, oh, I saw you online at my friend's Zoom class or whatever. It's like we have a couple of friends who meet every Sunday to play a, a trivia game. And it's about 15 or 20 people that are all loosely connected. Oh. A lot of it through Wild Honey. They just started doing it during the pandemic for their own sanity because they mm-hmm. needed to see somebody. Sure. But now it's like become a regular thing. And they're yeah. all like, yeah, so what are you guys doing? It's like they all know about what everyone's doing. And it's just nice because I think that's, you know, we keep going back to the community. Mm-hmm. line, But it's really true. You know, we have such an amazing group of people. There's a, you know, amazing woman, friend of ours named Diane Nagley, who's a philanthropist and who has volunteered the last seven, eight years, donates all the food and drink and the services of like taking care of the band and the crew. She just, you know, just wants to participate in that way, loves music, plays music herself, but just wants to provide that. Just like a guy shows up every year now and puts all the lyrics in his teleprompter. A guy named Jim Allen, who used to work for the band, he just did the memorial service that I did and then did an event the day before with our friend Barry, who's the stage manager, who said, hey, I need a teleprompter guy. Can you come and do this? Right. You know, again, we've been really fortunate to find people that yeah, know how to do stuff and want to do it. And also, we're able to provide, you know, that connection. We've, and you know, we've got super fans, too. People who come to every show, literally every show. And then beyond that, they donate to every single fundraiser I do. And then beyond that, they put us in their regular, you know, donation thing where they, you know, they give increasingly larger amounts every year. And just because they like what we do. Yeah. And, and also they, it's not just that they, they like the music, they like everything else, but they like the purity of, of what we do in terms of the the cause and and the fact that we don't have any overhead and we don't everything goes directly to either producing the event 
and and paying who we have to pay in terms of the tech crew and whatnot. And but we get a lot of we get a lot of work donated, a lot of, donated. And a lot of services donated. So the expenses that we have, we you know we're able to handle those very and low. We also get lucky sometimes someone will donate air miles or yep. you know, take care of someone's plane ticket if it's an out of town performer that you know needs to get here because they can't you know do it on their own dime. But the nice thing is is that and you know I say this you know not to name drop, but we're good we're friends with Jackson Brown who performed at our 2017 show, but he was contributing oh. to, to our shows prior to that by donating signed items. And his team gets, as you might imagine, literally every day of the week gets hit up for oh. to participate. In the right. Event. right. Yeah. They have a very thorough vetting process for anything that they are approached about. They do their independent work on their, you know, of investigating the organization, right. mm-hmm. charity, everything. So we got the clean bill of health early on from them because they said, we know about this place and we know what's going on. Right. We want to support it. And just schedule wise in 2016, his assistant, who's very good friends with Susan Cowsell, um, showed up to a rehearsal and said, this is sort of madness. Cause we literally had like a hundred people in this room playing and singing and doing right. stuff. And she said, this would kind of be beyond anything Jackson could deal with on one level, but he would appreciate what's going on here because he's used to having a much smaller thing where they're putting on an event. Yeah. But she was so into it, she filmed it and said, I'm going to show him this. And the next year, it just happened to work out. It was like he was able to do it. He totally got the spirit. And he's been back, not as a performer, but he's come to some yeah. of the gigs to just sit and watch if he can't commit to doing the show. And again, it's like there's people that have been very generous and helpful to us because they understand what we're doing and they try and help in different ways. And we have been very fortunate to be able to continue those relationships because I think we've all seen the benefit of people getting involved and doing good turns for each other. But there's, like Paul said, there's like a whole other multiple levels of what we're doing here that people can tap into. It's Mm -hmm. not just about, hey, you guys put on a great show. I mean, I know people that come to these events just because they know they're going to see something good. And they know that it's going to a good cause, but they don't necessarily know the entire story or history. Right. And yeah. They don't have to, but it's nice when they get involved or when they find out. Yeah, people get involved deeply and they you know, other people are superficially. It is because it's been so long. I mean, we've been doing this on this level since 2013. In terms of what we've done in the last 10 years, the network has expanded exponentially sure. so, so now that we the love and spoonful show was so amazing we got like national press attention and like people inquiring about it and yeah. you know i mean and the interesting thing is that i think that even with people being inundated with so much of everything there's so much content there's so much you know so much stuff coming at everybody on their devices on every forum you know every day that it's nice when there's some good news or something coming through that they could be excited about yeah. and i think that's what we've really been able to maintained throughout the entire history of doing this thing is that we don't want to ever forget that we're putting on a show to entertain people and to bring them together, you know, and to do a good turn and to both honor the music and also to, you know, raise money for a worthy cause. And if you can keep all, all parts of that triangle, you know, going, it's like, you know, it's a balancing act and we've had to sometimes bend or break the rules a little bit about how we do certain things or how to make certain things happen. And we also, you know, we have our dreams and aspirations too. I know you you mentioned before about, you know, all of us have our dream show or a thing. I love this, or this is my favorite performer. And we've come surprisingly close to making some things happen that might happen someday, but it's like the alternate history of like what could have been or what might've been, everybody has that in their life. We've been fortunate to make quite a few of our dreams happen. The Love and Spoonful show for me was like, I imagined it in my head. I imagined what, what what exactly I would want to happen in the best case scenario. And exactly that happened. Was- <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I was thinking about some of the shows you've described and I'm and thinking you, you guys must have been just numb. Like, is that this can't be real? Well, my right? <laughs> with that was having John Sebastian be our side man because he has such a great multi instrumentalist. He can do anything. He's not a big a fan of singing as he used to be, but he certainly plays auto harp, harmonica, guitar, all those things. He contributed to thirty songs. Yeah, he. he <laughs> you know, once we had he our was fully involved. Once we had our initial conversation, and then he kind of figure out what we were doing and we saw how interested he was and he talked to us more in depth it was like he wants to be in it like yeah fully fully in it so he came out here for the whole week of the rehearsals we shipped all of his equipment out here and he totally just joined the band and, yep. and at some point we would 
even said, you know, you could take a break. It's like, you yeah. know, you might not want to be on stage the entire night. And he's like, well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Don't count me out. <laughs> he totally got it and also was able to do what he wanted yeah. to do, which is he's just, he's still playing. You know, he's a guy that just wants to play music. He's said, yeah. I'm fortunate that, you know, I've had some success and I've had, I've had a great life. And his, his wife, summed it up best, Catherine Sebastian said, this thing you're doing is like, this is exactly what I've dreamed of for John for a long time. It's like, I wanted something right. like this where he can both be celebrated and celebrate at the same time. Right. And it was, a you know, and it was a big thing for him to, when Joe and Steve got involved, it wasn't that we were trying to engineer and he was very adamant about there's no Zalianovsky, so this is not a reunion of the Love and Spoonful, but you couldn't help but see when those three guys were on stage together. Yeah. And then, you know, not only the three of them, but in the audience at the rehearsal, their old manager and their old producer right. and publisher, they were all there. They were all there. They all went out to dinner. And we had some great moments like that where you got to see this team reunited because right. they're like, well, this is not, this doesn't happen every day. No. You know, it's like they're not all in the same well, place. And it, and, it, and it was also part of our, part of the thing that I like about promoting people who just didn't get their full due mm-hmm. throughout their career and, and sometimes were shunned. I mean, I mean, mm. John Sebastian has a very checkered solo existence, not in, not for him personally, but from the way the world has looked at it. And they've reduced Eleven Spoonful to a footnote and reduced his solo career to, you know, welcome back. And that was a wrong that I wanted to write. Uh-huh. I wanted, you know, to make it look, this is an underdog person who had all these hits, all the success. But people don't remember it, and it's not an historical perspective for many, many people. Mm-hmm. And so, I, we feel like that when we righted that that wrong, and mm-hmm. that at least in terms of giving them what the feedback they should be getting. Yeah, I think the nice thing we also had a great dovetail moment. Our uh, friend Dave Alvin uh, opened up the show with John. Cool, Dave said that the first band he ever went to see was the love and spoonful oh, kid. right so for him it's like a complete you know circle of yeah. the guy that he first saw as a kid right. he's on stage with him playing one of his one of those songs together right. and he, he i mean he, a little gallows humor david joked last time i saw him, he said like well if that's the last gig i ever do that's a good way to go out but he is planning, yeah. he is planning on getting back to work you know when he can but right. And the last time I saw him, he was wearing his Love and Spoonful shirt. From the- <laughs> he just said, man, it's like, you know, he just rewatched the show on DVD and just said, what a night. So we are really fortunate that we've been able to provide moments like we were able to do for John and also for Richie Steve, Fury, Steve yeah. and Joe for Richie Furey, Dave Davies, Brian Wilson. There was a great moment when we did the Kinks thing. You know, Dave Davies was sort of inundated with all these people coming up, like getting, you know, records signed and talking to him. And then Dave was sort of, unaware of the fact that the Plimsolls, who had just reunited, a big LA band that, you know, they were playing and Dave was watching them like, these guys are great. They remind me of us when we were younger. It's like, fantastic. And he didn't know anything about them, really. He'd missed them and they hadn't been on his radar. So yeah, that's amazing. You never know what's going to, you know, capture somebody or turn somebody on. Yeah. One of the things for us is that because we've always remained music fans, you know, and we've yeah. been able to bring people yeah. in, you know, we've had a couple of appearances at our shows the last couple of years from Mickey Dolans, who Andrew mm-hmm. Sandoval works with very closely for years doing monkey stuff. But Mickey, you know, came in and just, you know, immediately got what was going on. Same thing with Al Jardine. Yep. When we did the Beach Boys show in 2016, which again, as Paul's saying, we chose to highlight a period of the Beach Boys that a lot of average or casual fans are like, well, what happened between the late 60s and the late 70s? Because it's sort of a gray area. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really know that material. Yeah. Yet, it's really, in most every way, everybody in that band was doing some of their best work ever during that time. Right. They just weren't necessarily selling a lot of records or getting... The public didn't hits. realize that. And but, mm-hmm. but we had several people, more than a few people after we did that show, had said, I just went on Apple Music and bought all the, like, you know, I just uh-huh. went and yeah, downloaded exactly. all these records because I finally heard all these songs that I people had told me about, but I didn't know it. And the nice thing is for months, even still to this day, Al Jardine has yep. commented to Darian and Proben and the guys in the touring Brian Wilson band, what a great time he had that somebody sort of went to the effort to have a string section and a brass section and a guy playing pedal steel guitar and like multiples of everything. It's just not feasible for them to do they have a big band with brian but it's like they don't have 
three of them. Right. You know, for us, whenever we can provide a performer with a moment like that or a night where it's like they feel supported, we all have our tasks on the shows and how we do things. And one of my main things is making sure that the performers get what they need, but also that people kind of come into our world and they they're sort of amazed. It's like, Somebody handed me my guitar and it was in tune and had new strings on it and my stuff all worked and everything yeah. was great. And it's like, well, we can bring in people like call up your buddy who works for, you know, big rock bands who's at home not doing anything. It's like, I need you to come and help out. And they will, but they're taking care of the artist, just like, yeah. you know, having coffee or a sandwich or whatever. It's like they're mundane everyday things. A couple of years ago, we did an event back in Paul's house, you know, in Paul's backyard with uh, Jules Shear and Pal Shazar. Actually, Pal was playing and Jules was just accompanying her. And Jules said, this is like the best gig I've done in years. Like you have a place for us to hang out and it's got air conditioning and there's coffee and there's a couch if I want to take a nap. He's like, you don't know how many venues I play where yeah. I can't, you know, and I can't he, get he, this. But my point is, is it's like you're saluting your performers because you want them to be comfortable to not have to worry about some of the stuff that they might normally have to because they just want to do their job. But everybody enjoys being taken care of and being looked after. And I think that that's something we're able to do it on multiple levels for people because that's, you know, that's part of how it works. Someone's giving you their time, their performance, their talent, and you're able to give something to them so that they they, they can just concentrate on their job. You guys are like a like a big family, basically. And, it's, and yeah, yeah. you guys start off as a small family and that family has grown to be all the artists and musicians. And it's just like, you guys know you can count on them most of the time and they know that they can contact you and for things. And that's really invaluable for a lot of um, artists. And also the fact that you're bringing all these people together that are very creative. When creative minds all get together like this, I don't think it happens all the time when there's so many people that are the same mindset. Right. It, must, it must be just exhilarating that they can come up with ideas they can talk to people they can make contact it's just their imagination much go forever it's the best kind of overwhelming like having sort of like your birthday and christmas all rolled up into one feeling when we're at the rehearsal stage and all the people are gathered yeah. and people are just watching this thing unfold and they're seeing and hearing it come together it really is like you like it's hard to find somebody not smiling or yeah. not air drumming. Or right. not saying, there was a moment when we did the uh, Big Star show in 2014 at the Ebel. I was standing backstage and I looked up as I was air drumming to one of Jody's Stevens fills. I looked up and I saw Jason Faulkner, Debbie Peterson and Luther Russell all doing the exact same thing <laughs> at the same time that I was. If somebody had taken a photo of that moment, you would have thought it was staged because we were literally all lost yeah. in our world drumming along Jody. And then I turned to my right and Susanna Hoffs is go-go dancing in the corner in the wings, lost in her world. And it's like, when you see what music can do for people and do to them, it's really just a reminder that it's, it goes back to that thing that our friend said, you know, everybody is a fan of something else and they have that inspiration and they want to carry that with them. And sometimes artists, you know, when they're able to be at their own, you know, salute, I know that the Spoonful guys are a perfect example. It's like they were kind of blown away that people knew who they were, remembered right. who they were, right. knew about the and, whole of them, not just, you know, that we had that song that right. you hear on the TV all the time, <laughs> way beyond that. This but, was Geeks Festival. But that's the thing. Anyway. It's like, you know, artists deserve to be, I mean, like Paul said, we like to try and salute either the lesser known aspects of something or certainly no one, the Beatles are not an unknown, Yeah. Well, but, but, but doing a Beatles thing where it's like, you're going to fully stage it in a way that gives the music the respect it deserves. And, mm -hmm. you know, People appreciate it because when else are they going to get to do that? Yeah, we try to, and we try to, you know, over time, try to move into areas that we haven't gone in and try to keep it fresh and not, uh, not rehash the same things over again. And uh, I think that works, that it keeps it fresh and it also makes it, the musicians are more excited to learn new things. And so a lot of people didn't know all the Love and Spoonful songs, but they do now. And then and there's a lot of other, the kinks we did, a second kink show and where we we got pretty deep into a, a lot of songs that people didn't know mm -hmm. and we just go all out and, and rob rob lawford also doesn't let his musical direction is a really big part of the success of a lot of the big shows because he has a really good knack of having it done perfectly but in a way that people the musicians don't realize they're being pushed hmm. he 
pushes people that extra little bit and and keeps it fun and makes it makes it doesn't feel like they're rehearsing and but he's deadly serious about it but in a way that kind of a unique people skill that he has that mm-hmm. makes everybody feel excited and and do it but yet keep doing it until it's right not everybody can do that without pissing people off uh-huh right yeah, and we're fortunate too in that we've had so many people. Um, like again, it, it is almost too many to name, but there are core musicians in the band. Yeah, who are all amazing. Who musicians. are all amazing. Who all donate their time, and you know, are really they love the rehearsal process. Yeah, as much as anything, because it's that time to kind of hone it and go through it. Mm-hmm. And you know, because we just do, discover, we just do the one big show in front of people. Really, it's like you get to have bunch of shows with your rehearsals and with the dress rehearsals it's like it's funny there are times where there are people that have come to the dress rehearsal and been like i kind of feel like i saw it because like you're doing it it's like well you know you saw something you're seeing something that's a special thing because we could do it we could do the song right again a second time right after or you know somebody was in the bathroom and missed it so a guy jumped on the drums and filled in because somebody had we had to do the song that you know that's like a moment you're not going to get really at a show Although we've had one or two moments where Elliot Easton actually at the Spoonful show was stuck downstairs being filmed by um, a guy who was doing a documentary on John Sebastian and the speaker was not on in the room because they were filming him. So he actually almost missed his cue. Oh no, he missed, he missed his cue. (laughs) He got, and it was like, it was like a cartoon moment where it's like, he got tangled in the guitar cable. It's like, but he got out there. Like he, 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 he did get there, but, the getting there was sort of like they were like, Elliot, you're supposed to be on stage. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, it's so yeah, and, and the rehearsals also come up with you know really magical moments themselves. And so I think there's there's no I think the musicians have no problem with doing it as many times as as, as called upon. It's that, that it's that discovery process. And I mean, we've always had moments that shows like something comes off slightly different than you planned, or maybe not exactly what you'd wish, but it's live. It's human. It's in person. I think the beauty of it is that everybody's got the same intent. You know, they want to make the best thing possible. But the nice thing, too, is, you know, this isn't a show that's running tracks or has a set thing or is programmed. I mean, it's very much like we start and we're doing it and it's like it's what you get. And yeah, you may occasionally have a moment where it's like, oh, did I come in early? But you know what? There are huge bands that are like that, too. My, My friends worked for The Who for 20 years and he said, You'd be surprised how often Roger and Pete forget where they are in a song they've played a thousand times because they're not doing it on autopilot either. Sometimes the best thing about performance is what happens right in front of you and how a moment is created. We're fortunate that we've got enough of a support up there for people that if somebody gets wobbly or something happens, yeah. we've got their back. Yeah, plus all the rehearsal. People yeah. have that to lean back on. And, and we have an interlocking system, too, of, of musicians who they're going to play guitar on certain songs and then they come in and go off. And so we have this whole ballet that goes on during the course of a show. Everybody doesn't play on every song. We've got that in spades. We've got a very deep bench. Right. <laughs> uh-huh. There's a comfort level with the language of music and the way that the musicians interact with each other and how Rob is able to direct them and how we're able to, when we bring in the outside people, especially it's great when a stranger comes in, you know, someone we haven't worked with yet or we don't know, but they've heard about us or right. their friend told them about it. Whenever that turns into a really, which it always does, a positive experience where they're like, this is amazing. Like mm-hmm. I want in, you know, we people just people always come back. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also the, 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 the moments too, of winning over the skepticism of people sometimes is interesting where Richie Fiore, he was really nice and polite when he got there and it was, it was oh, in the rehearsal or just rehearsal. But then we did on the way home with him singing with the horns and the strings and the full original album version, which he had never done live ever. Mm-hmm. And he turned around to everybody and just had this big grin on his face. And all of a sudden, we had a completely onboard, ecstatic guest star. You know, all of a sudden, we had a different person. And because he was like, you know, reasonably skeptical, and anybody would who's done a lot of things and come out. And a lot of times, people don't traditionally in these kind of shows, people don't rehearse. Mm -hmm. They might go through it once, maybe twice. 
if you're lucky. Or they're used to like, well, I don't know what you're going to have. So we came prepared with what we're going to do. Right. And that's our fail safe. And, and, the then, short, and also people do the shorthand versions of songs. They don't do the, yep. the really hardcore. And so, but when people are brought into that, they really receive that and they really, really get excited about the event. And it's a, that's what keeps people coming back because they know we're not sparing any expense in terms of making it right. We've talked about a lot of great shows here, and I know you mentioned earlier that um, a lot of them are on YouTube. Is that a place that would be officially on YouTube that people can go and, and watch them, or how is that? They can go to, they can do Wild Honey Foundation um, or Paul Rock, and I have a playlist with many of the shows. Because I'm sure there's people listening that are going, wow, I, I didn't know about this, and I really want to see it. Yeah, you can see the Love and Spoonful show in its entirety on a playlist at YouTube and the band show and the kink show and the Beach Boys show. I want to hear the Elvis Costello one. I'm a big Elvis Costello that fan. That we don't have. Oh! Well, <laughs> we were not. The early days, not so yeah, much. Yeah. The early days were a little more hit and miss in terms of someone might have shown up with a handheld video camera. You right. know, given the times, it's not like everyone had a, a little. Sure. You, you didn't know the hit. You didn't know what was going to happen after that. Yeah, it was and, a whole different world. So you, there's some of that older 90s footage is out there on you know the people have posted themselves on youtube and fortunately the quality is what it is right i have good quality relatively good quality not not the same as we do now but of the everly brothers some of the highlights of the everly brothers show that we did in 1995 and there's some amazing clips because i think that was kind of the of the early shows in terms of uniform quality that was one of our better ones because we had kind of a seamless acoustic night uh which given the fact that we weren't doing a, a house band and and all the things that we do now in terms of the wild honey orchestra really wasn't a thing at that point so doing an acoustic show with people just getting up and doing it was a lot easier than the whole band thing where everybody's setting up and blah, blah, blah. So the Everly show was really strong. And there are some good clips from the Everly show on online at the, at the site where we have the, uh, the blue shadows with uh, Bill Cowsill and uh, Jeffrey Hatcher. And they Jeffrey were a Hatcher, duo that yeah. was kind of like a perfect mix of like a British beat group and the Everly brothers. And, and so they're they were, spot on. It's, and they, it's amazing. I mean, one of the moments about that show that was so amazing is that I was standing backstage with Andrew and David Williams a duo at the time, and they certainly had an Everly's thing going. And Jason and Eden Everly, who are you know offspring of Phil and Don, they all mouths open were watching Bill and Jeffrey <laughs> sing their you know Don and Phil's parts. Like wow, and I thought you know it doesn't really get any better than that if you've got two another brother harmony act and the sons of the actors saluting, and they're watching these guys going like oh I see. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a similar thing to when people were watching Christine Collars just singing that day at rehearsal in 2013. They're like, oh my God, how do I not how have I never heard this woman sing before? But I don't want to follow her. <laughs> but that's part of it too. But it's like it's never it's not so much about like one upmanship ever, but it's like when someone's yeah. asked to do something that's a little difficult, like we had a great moment in 2014. Uh, Mike Viola came and sang right. Oh Darling, which is on YouTube. And he did a really good job at rehearsal, but he goes like, you know, I got to save it up a little bit because I've let it all out at the show. We're like, we got it. And at, when the showtime came, it's like he let it go and he <laughs> totally delivered. Yeah. But the thing is, is like he was ready for it. Same thing. A year before we did it, we did a weekend of a reunion concerts for this band, the Continental Drifters, that Susan Cowsell and Peter Holzap and all our friends had been in. And we were talking about the next thing we were going to do. And she's like, what are you doing? It's like, Looking at a Beach Boys thing, and she just said, right now, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I want to do Sail on Sailor. Please don't give it to anybody else. I'm like, yep. okay. She goes like, I know it's early. Just I'm calling it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like, whatever it was, like six to nine months later, when it came time, she was like, oh, yeah. I told you, I'm ready. Whenever we've had moments like that, where it's like, you see the home run happening, like somebody has really bonded. Right. with their song of course it's not all that much more special because they're getting to do what they kind of building up to but sometimes you have to throw somebody a song a day <laughs> or two before the show because somebody gets sick somebody drops yeah. out and then sometimes those moments are amazing too well the susan castle thing is interesting because beach boy fans in general especially the hardcore fans are pretty difficult bunch to please and the feedback on the susan castle sail on sailor 
on the YouTube thing and, and every any other time I post it, Facebook or whatever, it's just this is the best version except for the the original or <laughs> better than the original. I mean, it's it's so like that is the one performance that we get that pleases the hardcore fans in the most you know significant way, which is. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I like that. But if you're like someone who's heard that song five million times and you really are impressed by that version, that's really saying something. And I mean, I've been to a couple of shows and she gets so involved with all the other people. Play. I mean, if she has a chance, she runs out there with the tambourine and just out there dancing and hitting the tambourine. And, and I'm sure that's probably not even planned, really. But she's just you can just tell she's having a, a great time just being there. Look, we did a show once where she literally like came in the night before the morning of because she had another gig and she wasn't able to participate as fully as she wanted to. And she still did a great job. Yeah. But, you know, she was like, ah, it's like, you know, it's like, I wish I would have been here with you guys all week, but I couldn't. But again, it's like it's that extra step of somebody that is really fully engaged and also wants to you know get in the spirit of things and participate and we're very fortunate that we can provide that for people and sometimes i think that part of the fun thing about what we do is the fact that we have so many people that are part of it and that you know make return appearances and really want to be in the lineup and also when we call on people that we haven't had for a while or yeah. that we you know and it's the same thing when we're getting newcomers it might be someone that we've tried quietly to get for years and right. it just never works out schedule wise. And yet you never know when it's going to work out. Yeah, we've out. been working on Dave Alvin. He made a, he made an appearance at the Everly Brothers in 95, which I'm not sure he even knew why he was there, but he did. A great <laughs> he came and did one song and he was gone. But then he was totally on board over time, but we never had him on do a show until the Love and Spoonful show. And then he was amazing at that. That was years, years, years. That was, uh, what, 15 years later. Longer. Oh, no, 25 years. Yeah. Paul and David, it's been just so exciting to hear about what you're up to. And I can't wait to buy a ticket and be there for the next one. Please do tell us about what you have coming up next. We have uh, Sally Timms and John Langford of the Mekons coming May 22nd to reprise their uh, what was became an online show we'll be doing it in person and it'll probably be an online thing although I have not worked out the online thing yet and then on June 5th we're doing Ian Matthews the original uh, Fairport Convention singer and great solo artist for many 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 years he's wonderful he's great and he's also performed with us many times this is probably his eighth or ninth appearance <laughs> And then he's going to be with Eleni Mandel, um, who is a, a, one of the stars of the Eleven Spoonful show and a great solo artist in her own right. And then July 10th, we're doing uh, Parthenon Huxley and a, a superstar to be named later. And then July 31st is our friend Thomas Walsh from Pugwash, who's on a West Coast tour all the way from right. Ireland. And he'll be joined by Chris Price and Nelson Bragg. And they'll be switching songs. They'll be on the stage together, kind of doing a song swapping, playing with each other. That sounds like it'd be a phenomenal show, really. I mean, I think that's going to be a, a hot one. And I've been to the backyard shows and to one of them. And man, it's small enough that you feel like you're part of the, the show itself. And the sound is great. And it's just a wonderful experience. Sometimes you have food and it's, it's definitely worth checking out. And then we've got our November 5th event at the Alex, the Big Star 50th anniversary celebration. There'll be more about that later. And as for what else comes down the pike, you know, we'll uh, we'll be we'll, putting uh, it out there. Yeah, and there'll be the uh, Jacob Rock, Rob Lawfer, Unforgettable Sunrise Symphony <laughs> coming coming to a uh, venue of, to be named later. And the Facebook group is, is very active. And that's where I go to first to, uh, uh, to announce things because... People are, are regular there. Well, David and Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show to tell us about this. Really, it's been such a thrill uh, to hear about the work that you're doing. And thank you so much for the work that you do, right? I think it's, you know, obviously it's really meaningful to musicians, to music fans, and to those who benefit also from the fundraising that you do. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. And, and, and your son sounds amazing. It's just an amazing accomplishment that he's done. After 16 and a half years of silence, he's got a lot to say. <laughs> thank you again. It was really Thanks, lovely guys. to talk to you. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to check out the show notes for additional information about this episode. 
and give us a like or a thumbs up on Podomatic or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd also love to have your support on Patreon and get in touch. We'd love to hear from you through the internet or Twitter or whatever means works for you. And finally, thanks to Caffeine Creek for the theme music.